Welcome to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have John Sunman, a novelist and author of Biodigital and Acts of the Apostles. This is Technotopia. Technotopia is brought to you by Happy Fun Corp. Happy Fun Corp is a design-driven technology company in Brooklyn, New York, that specializes in building mobile and web applications for startups and Fortune 500 companies. Whether it's a new mobile or web application that will help people experience the internet in a fun new way, or software that will interface with a new piece of top-secret hardware, Happy Fun Corp is always up to the challenge. Big or small, Happy Fun Corp loves building software and loves working with great people. Come build with them. HappyFunCorp.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Technotopia, a podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs, and today we have one of my favorite novelists, John Sunman. You are a, I guess, a futurist, uh, but not a futurist. Isn't that right, John? Well, I, I set out to be a novelist, and I just kind of uh, stumbled into writing books that are kind of future-oriented, science fiction-y kind of things. Mm-hmm. I don't really don't think of myself as a futurist, but a lot of the stuff that I wrote in my first novel uh, nearly, gosh, nearly 20 years ago is now happening. Yeah, so exactly. I guess I guess by default I am a futurist. <laughs> so you wrote you wrote Acts of the Apostles, uh, Biodigital. I think Biodigital is the one that is coming the most true. I guess you could say, right? Well, yeah, Acts of the Apostles and Biodigital are pretty much the same story, but I I updated Acts of the Apostles for a lot of complicated reasons. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, a lot of <laughs> a lot of stuff that I made up. I invented as kind of thought experiments or just uh, seemed to me kind of uh, reasonable or uh, they they were extrapolations I made that seemed pretty far-fetched but maybe reasonable. They're they're actually happening now. Mm-hmm. So why don't Things you tell, like, us, yeah, tell us about some of those. Well, one thing, um, the, main, the main thing is genetic engineering and um, – so I imagined a, a technology for engineering a DNA for finding and changing any arbitrary sequence of DNA within a functioning cell inside a living organism. So when I wrote the book, there were various methods for uh, cutting and splicing DNA, but they were all very specific. There was no one tool that could find any arbitrary sequence. It would be find this sequence using this enzyme or find that sequence using another enzyme. And a lot of these techniques only worked on DNA, uh, naked DNA. They didn't work on DNA within a functioning cell. Mm -hmm. So uh, now techniques exist um, related to CRISPR uh, that... uh, that allow you to actually program a, a mechanism, a machine, if you will, a biological machine to go find any arbitrary sequence of DNA and change it to any other sequence of DNA that you programmed it to and, uh, and within a functioning cell. So this offers all kinds of interesting promise for curing uh, diseases, for example, that have a genetic basis. And they also open a kind of a Pandora's box for all kinds of other applications. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the main thing I imagine. I also imagine things like like uh, virtual reality uh, or augmented reality tools for manipulating molecules using data gloves and, and uh, proprioceptive feedback. And I also imagined a uh, uh, 
it's CPU hidden inside another CPU, a hardware Trojan horse that I've uh, recently discovered actually exists within uh, Intel uh, yep. CPUs. So th there were lots of things that I that I kind of imagined that I'm now finding are happening or have happened. And so it's kind of freaky. So were you so you said these were thought experiments. What exactly were you thinking when you uh, when you were building these things? you what was the uh, what was the inspiration behind a lot of this stuff? Well, I, I was working at a computer company. Mm -hmm. This isn't when I started writing this my first book, um, or I had worked for fifteen years at various computer companies. Um, is the late nineteen nineties, and um, was married to, and I'm still married to a person who uh, worked on a PhD in molecular biology, and so I spent a lot of time in. Uh, in DNA laboratories, uh, you know, or molecular biology laboratories and learned a lot about that stuff just because I wanted to impress this woman that I later <laughs> married. And um, so I wanted to write uh, a novel just because, like, I guess many people, I wanted to see if I could add it in me to write a novel. And I thought I'd write a murder mystery. And I was talking to a friend of mine who was a chip designer, computer chip designer, and he had been having all kinds of problems trying to figure out why a certain chip of his, why he couldn't debug uh, a, a, a certain race condition. And um, a race condition is basically when you have uh, electrons racing to the gate, a logic gate, and they, they get there at different times, kind of in a tie. Mm -hmm. And so you get unpredictable uh, results as a consequence it's kind of very uh, sporadic and hard to debug but anyway so i was i was talking to this friend of mine who had just he had already designed like 10 chips successfully and this one chip was kicking his ass and he was looking at an etch plot up on the wall and i asked him um i said you know i know how to put a trojan horse into software could you put a trojan horse into hardware and he said that there were two hundred thousand transistors on the chip he was designing and and somebody could put the fucking titanic in there and he wouldn't know it and so that gave me the idea to to uh, write about a chip designer who finds somebody else is putting a, a trojan horse into his hardware and then gets murdered when he makes the discovery and then mm -hmm. i i started thinking about okay well why would somebody go to all the trouble of putting a uh, a trojan horse into hardware when it's so much easier to, to put it into software and and I combined that with my musings on, on uh, where DNA technology might be taking us. And I just kind of, you know, put the two of them together. I was taking a long walk saying, how the hell do these two ideas marry together? And then I came up with something and read the book and find out what it is. Right. So I guess the I guess the question is, the, the main question that we always ask is, what is the world going to look like in 15 to 20 years? And what do you think uh, everything's going to look like in the next uh, two decades? Oh, my goodness, John. You know, you and I have talked about this before. And I, I really, it, it, the, the, the range is so vast. If, if you look at the possibilities of this new, a lot of this new technology, um, we can imagine genetic technology to eliminate all kinds of horrible diseases like ALS, I hope that's the first to go, and uh, and to produce enough food to feed everybody, no more starving children, 
and uh, to clean up air pollution, water pollution, and so forth. That potential is all there. It's all very real. And then on the other hand, you know, it was 122 degrees today in Palm Springs. Um, the, the wars going on around the world, there's a higher number of refugees and a higher percentage of people who are refugees uh, than at any time since World War II. You know, there's lots of scary, bad stuff going on. And, and some of it, like, for example, what's going on in the Middle East, may be intimately tied to um, climate change and disruptions from that. So there are all kinds of ways that bad shit could continue to happen. Mm-hmm. I really don't know. I mean, it's, 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 kind of, it's kind of frightening. I've got, you know, grandchildren. You know, I want the, everything to turn out great. And, uh, but I don't know. So, so are you... Uh are you on the dystopian camp or the utopian camp? This is supposed to be a little more utopian. So but let's, yeah. let's, let's go through it. <laughs> it depends on what time of day you catch me, <laughs> you know, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit more dystopian just because of, of, of it takes, if you have a hundred human beings and, and one of them's a, an asshole and, he or she, probably he, has a terrible weapon, then, you know, it's, it's really bad for the other 99. It doesn't matter how good their, their, uh, their efforts are. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just because the potential for force amplification is so great these days, where one bad person can do so much harm. And I, I don't know. When I, I was talking to my, uh, my friend, the uh, uh, molecular biologist George Church, who's a pretty influential guy. And I was saying the the only hope I see is is just to anything we can do to foster civilization, the 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 values that keep us keep us working together and valuing each other and valuing uh peace and harmony over competition and uh and destruction. But but there are a lot of anti-civilization forces in the world. So anyway, I'm rambling a little bit, but well, no, I mean that's that's an that's a that's a good point. I mean, anti-civilization forces are they winning? Are we letting them win? And would you argue you've you've been you've been to you've been around for a while? I'm not saying you're I'm not saying you're older per se because voices you can't tell how old you're. I'm, I'm, I'm ancient. I'm ancient. <laughs> But I just want to, has, has it gotten better? Has it gotten better? So when I was 16 years old, I remember I, I was a firefighter, a volunteer firefighter in a small town. And, uh, and I was in the back of a truck responding to a brush fire uh, shortly after Martin Luther King Jr. had been assassinated. And just standing on the platform, the guy next to me, who was at the age of my father, made this horribly racist joke uh, about the assassination of Dr. King. And I was kind of shocked. I mean, I, I'd, I'd grown up in a very non-racist household and among very liberal-minded people, and I just never encountered that kind of bigotry. And and uh, and I still remember it. It's still, it's still shocking to me. And, and it, these days, I, I think that that stuff is even less prevalent and it was, I mean, I grew to realize that the racism and bigotry uh, were, were very prevalent in America and, and, uh, 
in some places were, you know, really ascendant and had controlled the power structures. That I was kind of didn't see it or was naive about it, or maybe it wasn't that prevalent in my town. But anyway, I think a lot of that stuff has gotten better. I think that uh, that race relations and and uh, and gender relations and women's empowerment. I think all of, some of those trends in the USA anyway are mostly to the good. There's a lot of retrograde elements as well, but I think they're mostly to the good. So there's lots of reasons for for uh, optimism on that aspect of civilization. But, you know, we see other things like anti-science attitudes of not just astrology and crap like that that's, you know, arguably benign, but things like anti-vaccination fever and so forth that that uh, they make me despair. They really do. Because if we don't, if we don't have a a realistic view of the world. I guess we need we need everybody to do their job. We need every single person on earth to to be doing their job to address the problems we have to face. And so people who are believing stupid religious shit and and stupid anti-scientific stuff it, it's you know they're they're powerful and they can they can impede us. They can fuck everything up. Mm-hmm. That's, that may be bigotry on my part, but but uh, that's how I feel. Sure. That's, uh, so so I guess the so I guess what you're saying is that it's it's gotten better, but the effects of retrograde behavior and thought are more damaging now. Well, yeah. I, mean, I, mean, I would I would even argue I would I would argue that, and we don't have to go down further down this rabbit hole, but the the power the power to take away a job or the power to keep someone out of a special place is far diminished than it used to be. Uh, it's not a, it's not a common expectation that, 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 that you can be that way. Obviously well, the, we're obviously that's, it is retrograde in some, in some aspects, but. Well, yeah, that's true. But, but look what's going on in the, in the United States Senate. I mean, we're supposed to be the world leader in this, that, and the other, and we cannot get, a majority, a simple majority of United States senators to accept the science behind climate change. Even when uh, the United States Department of Defense has identified climate change as the biggest threat to national security over the coming decades. And, you know, even among a, you know, a pro-military, you know, basically right-wing aspect of the, of the populace in the Senate, they won't listen to their own Pentagon if it, if it tells them stuff they don't want to hear. And what they don't want to hear is science. Mm-hmm. And that is really frightening to me. Hmm. Interesting. So anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, we, that, was, that, was, that was an interesting, I, that was an interesting uh, walk. Um, so generally, what can we do as human beings to, to make things work better? Well, that, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it, John? I mean yeah. – I I think about that a lot. This is one of those things that, you know, when you get to be a gray beard, you get to contemplate, I guess. I just think anything we can do to foster to foster um empathy and perspective is all to the good. So now I'm sounding like the Dalai Lama. No. But 
but but but I mean it, that, and that's why I believe in art. That's why I believe in literature. I believe in museums. I believe in parks. I believe in uh, uh, public education. I believe in anything that uh, that helps us. How do I want to say this? Anything that that breeds empathy, that breeds understanding, that breeds curiosity, and breeds compassion. All these things are the, the best hope. And, and it's not, in other words, the best hope is not in this bit of technology or that bit of technology mm-hmm. because they can always be subverted by the people who can use the same technology for, for the wrong reasons or bad reasons. So, so anything that, that, that amplifies empathy and compassion and f- fellow feeling, all that stuff. That's that's where I think. But what is that? What is what do we need to start amplifying that? Well, traditionally we've relied on the arts to do that, and and to some extent on religion. And so religion is kind of a mixed bag. In some ways, religion amplifies those feelings, but we all know that religion could be could be uh, quickly turned to to amplify just the opposite kinds of feelings. I also think that we need to do a lot more social science to study just how cultures change you know like like rigorously study scientifically study how how these things uh where compassion comes from where where uh how societies best get along these these are phenomena that can be studied but like any other phenomena Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying you know we could i i don't i don't think that it's it's something that should strictly be left to guys chit-chatting over a beer to figure out. I think that these, these things should be, uh, should be studied. How do we make ourselves less vulnerable to uh, crackpot crazies with AK-47s? Okay. And, and, you know, and, or, 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 you know, uh, to crime, to, to, uh, to war. How do, how do, is this these, a problem that technology can solve? Well, I don't know if technology can solve, but certainly science can be brought to bear. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so for example, uh, rigorous analytical studies. I mean, there are people who are starting to do this now. We've been doing it for decades, but even more so recently. To say, there have been theories for ever since the dawn of civilization about where war comes from. Why do people go to war? And people have this opinion or that opinion or the other opinion, but but. It's only recently that people are starting to really rigorously analyze this question from a scientific point of view. The way they would analyze, for example, what does cancer come from? Mm-hmm. Or, or what does, uh, I don't know, some other disease or pathology come from? So I would like to see scientific rigor being brought to questions like that. Where, where do these pathologies come from? Where does war come from? Where does hatred come from? Uh, you know, sure. I, I think these are important questions that we need to address really quickly. Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, so on the upside, upside downside, what would you what would you wager? The are we are we going to enter a Blade Runner esque uh, hellscape, or is it going to be okay in twenty years? Just, just <laughs> I, I, I think I think it's going to be okay. The thing that worries me the most is climate. Right. If mm-hmm. if if you know, I, I write a lot about DNA technology and so forth because it's cool and it's sexy and it's fascinating. 
but but if the climate goes all to hell, if the ocean currents change, if if Africa becomes uninhabitable, if 250 million people leave India looking for other places to live, then, you know, lots of bets are off. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that the number one thing that has to be gotten under control is the climate crisis. And I have a friend named Tom Athanasio who, uh, who's been writing about the climate crisis for about 25 years now. And he's got a few books out and his argument has been, that we have the technology to solve the climate crisis and we've had it for a long time but the problem is a social justice problem if the the people if the people in the the uh the less rich areas of the world mm-hmm. were just a, accept their way of life, to never eat meat and to never uh, fly in an airplane and to never have a t- television and so forth. And if the, the, uh, um, th- then the problem could be solved because the people in the, in the, in the rich countries could learn how to control their pollution and the people in the poor countries aren't producing that much pollution. So we could just be fine. But the people in, in those countries who have, that people have never had a car, never had a television, never eaten meat, never had, you know, the luxuries that we take for granted. They want them, and why shouldn't they? So <laughs> the problem is if 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 we're to proceed, the people who have all these things are going to have to give some of them up. Mm-hmm. We have to change our way of life. And just for a matter of, of pure logic and, and justice, mm-hmm. but... But how do you convince people who are used to taking, I don't know, 15, 20, 30 airplane trips a year that you get to have, you know, you're allowed to take one airplane trip every other other year. That's your limit, you know. So, you know, so anyway, that's, that's, that's the problem. I I don't have a solution, but, but, uh, so I, I, I do think, I know that you're, you, you, um, you have a utopian view of the future and everybody has, I mean, I, I have a hopeful view. I mean, I'm, I'm not a misanthropist. I, I, I like people. I want mm-hmm. society continue to continue. Um, I, I think that, uh, the cool technologies that solve point problems are cool, but it's, it's the overarching problems that, that are the real challenge. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what? Uh, where can people find your work? Well, they can go to my website, johnsuntman.com. Uh, S-U-N-D-M-A-N, right? S-U-N-D-M-A-N, first mm-hmm. name John, J-O-H-N. Uh, my books are also available on Amazon and the usual ebook outlets. All right, and are you working on anything right now? Yes, I am. I'm working, I'm finishing up a novel I've been working on forever. It's a prequel to my to my uh, earlier books, Biodigital and Acts of the Apostles. And it's set in the 1970s, around the time of the Asilomar DNA conference, mm-hmm. which was the first time that scientists kind of took a step back and looked at uh, DNA engineering and tried to contemplate the the implications of it. Hmm. All right, very cool. All right, so thank you very much, John, for joining us from your... Uh you're out in uh, you're out in Martha's Vineyard, right? I, I do live on Martha's Vineyard. That's right. <laughs> Where so, the weather is lovely today, it rained last night, but it's lovely today. I went on that bike ride I was telling you about earlier, and 
life is good. All right. Sounds great. So, 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 so at least you're in a utopia. This has, yeah. <laughs> this has been Technotopia. I'm John Biggs. Thank you for listening. Thank you, John.